You're listening to United Q Podcast. We're brought to you by ProQ, Kamado Joe, Thermopen, and Smokewood Shack. ProQ's extensive range of bullet smokers, reverse flow, and gravity-fed smokers will suit all, from the home enthusiast to the big volume caterer. Kamado Joe, the king of ceramics, is renowned for build quality and innovation. When smoking, roasting, or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in. Thermapen Instant Read Thermometers. Take the guesswork out of barbecuing with the super fast Thermapen. Smokewood Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. They provide the smoky goodness, you provide the talent. This week's show, we have got the legendary barbecue author. We have Rob Walsh. Hi, Rob. How are you doing? Hey, good to be here. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, I said there in the intro, a real legend. You've done so many books now. You've got like a whole, you must be able to fill a bookshelf with your books now. <laughs> yeah, whole bookshelf, yeah. Oh, it's a small bookshelf. <laughs> I think uh, I think I have written um, a dozen food books. It may be Unlucky Thirteen. It's right around there somewhere. Cool. All right, could you want to just give us a quick intro about who Rob Walsh is and what you're about? Oh, gee, aren't you supposed to do that? You're <laughs> gonna make me. You're gonna make me blow my own horn, or, or you know? Tell us where it all began, then, Rob. <laughs> Well, uh, let's see. I was born a young Malaysian girl. Um, <laughs> oh, a bit like Dan. <laughs> same as me. <laughs> I've tied where, into a young Malaysian girl, though. <laughs> where did it all begin? I wrote a book called um, Are You Really Going to Eat That? Which, uh, which included a section of got to be uh, a food writer or uh, how I became so obsessed with food. And my uh, my speculation was that um, my grandmother was an immigrant from Eastern Europe, from uh, the Ruthenian, the Carpathian-Rusin area of the Carpathian Mountains. Anyway, she um, was an incredible cook. And um, she would come over to our house when she came to visit, and she'd just go to the store and buy a 25-pound sack of flour and park in the kitchen and just turn out breads and yeast rolls and cinnamon rolls and nut rolls and pizza shells. And it just went on and on and on. And, you know, she, 
she looked at us with, uh, I have five brothers, so she would like cook for the six of us. And it just, you know, you could tell how happy she was when we were eating her food. And my grandmother, you know, English wasn't her first language, so she didn't talk that much. Um, so we sort of got our emotional grandma fix by eating her cooking. So um, I think I speculated in the introduction of that book that, um, you know, I, I came to appreciate food as this conveyor of love and emotion, uh, thanks to my grandma. And so as, you know, my life went on, I looked to food for more than sustenance. But, you know, I mean, I kind of felt like I could taste the love and care that went into the way the food was cooked. And, uh, um, and that's, you know, reading the language of cooking, it became my, became my occupation. So, um, I don't know, does that make sense to you or does that sound like a, a crazy story? That's crazy talk, Rob. <laughs> I, I'd say that's a very, very good answer to the question of w way better than if anyone asked me and Dan, how we got into it, it would never be anything near as as excellent as that. <laughs> well, of course, that that's the question you're probably really asking me is how do I get into barbecue? But, um, you know, I would say that... That's uh, question two, Rob. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, well then, uh, then on to question two, and I'll add question three is how did I get into Tex-Mex? Because that's sort of my other great love. I'm still the partner in a... Uh, Tex-Mex restaurant in Houston, El Real Tex-Mex Cafe on Westheimer in the Montrose District, should you be in the neighborhood. But um, I went to uh, high school in New England, in Connecticut. And um, my father, actually, the other thing that brought me into the food world was my father was a restaurant purveyor. In, in other words, he sold groceries to restaurants. And... Uh, so he was working for General Foods, which was a giant uh, food concern. And uh, he was eventually promoted to the main office in White Plains, New York. And he moved the family to uh, our residence in Connecticut. I went to high school there. And uh, it was, uh, the, it, I'm, I'm pretty old. So this was the Vietnam War era. And uh, my dad and I weren't getting along. So he was in the service. He thought I should you know, join the ROTC and become an officer and go off to Vietnam. And I, I didn't think so. So I ended up uh, picking, uh, picking a college about as far away from Connecticut as I could find. And that was the University of Texas. And so uh, I went to the University of Texas. I started when I was 17 in 1970. And uh, I just, I just loved, I fell in love with Texas. Um, there were things going on in the food scene in Texas that just blew my mind, you know, as a 17-year-old. Um, and two of them, two of those genres were barbecue, and the other was Tex-Mex. Um, there were barbecue joints, you know, when I first got to Texas and people took me out to the legendary German meat markets out, you know, Lockhart, Lubling. I, this was this was like nothing I had ever seen. Certainly, like nothing that existed in New England. Yeah. And um, I just, I, I was just, uh, I just fell in love. Uh, there's just the romance of it, and 
you know, back to grandma, it's like you just you sit down in a place where people have been, you know, eating barbecue and, and rubbing brisket grease in, into the wood for a hundred years. And, you know, you just feel like part of the whole continuity of it all. And uh, it was uh, it was a beautiful thing. And uh, I just couldn't get enough of it. And the funny thing was when I when I became a food writer some years later, I discovered that the other Texas food writers kind of considered barbecue and Tex-Mex as like, you know, fire hydrants and phone booths. I mean, that was just, you know, part of the landscape. They didn't really think anything special about them. But, it, of course, they'd grown up with them. And, you know, so there was this real push when I started in food writing in the late 1980s. There was a real push to recognize uh, some sort of a gourmet Southwestern cuisine and to bring Texas into this, you know, era of great chefs. And uh, and the mantra of my peers was, Texas food is so much more than barbecue and Tex-Mex. <laughs> so so um, I, I sort of worked the other side of the fence and, you know, because from my point of view, you know, there are great chefs in lots of cities. And, you know, coming from New England and having eaten in great restaurants in New York, and uh, I had lived in San Francisco as well, you know, I, I appreciated the chefs in, uh, in Texas. But the thing was, you know, this, uh, this bar- the barbecue in Tex-Mex was, was on another level. And it, it sort of brings to mind the French, um, the, the French category of uh, haute cuisine versus folk cuisine, you know. Uh, there's, uh, and and it, it, sort of, it sort of translates to culture in general. There's, you know, uh, there's uh, haute couture and there's regular clothes and there's, you know, uh, high art and there's popular art. And um, so... Uh, I think Texas, while it may hold its own in the, you know, in the the haute category, it just kicks butt in the folk category. I mean, when it comes to folk cuisine, there ain't nothing like Texas, you know. It's uh, and it's that side of the fence. I, I mean, it's like, yeah, they've got an opera and they've got a symphony in Houston, where where I spent, you know, the last. Uh, <clears throat> 20 years reviewing restaurants and so forth. But, um, you know, the, the symphony and the, and the opera are just kind of on a par with, you know, average symphonies and and operas elsewhere, but the blues guitars, you know, the blues in Texas, the, the singer songwriters, the, the, the alternative country that, that folk music of Texas is, is stellar. World, world class you know so so it's it's easy to understand why the folk foods of texas are are so exemplary and um so you know so i started out with this sort of sensitivity to food and to what went into it you know on a human level and on a cultural level and then i you know got hooked up with this these folk foods of texas and um and that was it that's what i did for that's what i did for the rest of my life (laughs) 
Yeah, it's a good life, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's well. I, I, you know, I should uh, add the asterisk that you know, in January I moved to Ireland and I now practice uh, my my Tex-Mex and barbecue in Western Ireland. So uh, that's been a, a bit of a, a bit of a change, but um, a refreshing change. Yeah, I mean. I guess yeah, we've swiftly moved on to that, so it's quite a good place to talk about like where you're at now. I'd I'd like to talk about, I guess before we say where you're at now with your kind of barbecue setup and what you're doing, it'd be nice to know like what you've come from. So like, what would your setup have been like? I guess you found this love for Texas barbecue, then at that point you're going to go, well, I need to create this myself. So what setup did you go for in your house? Did you have like a big offset or what are you going for? Um, well, I had, uh, I had a great many machines. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so I had a, uh, I got a Texas offset, I think when I was, uh, I think it was my 40th birthday. I got a big Texas offset before that I had been using what they, we call in tech, we call it Texas hibachi, which is a 55 gallon drum sawed in half. Um, and I had met some great barbecuers, uh, Harley Gurlitz in particular, who was a, an award-winning, uh, many-time cook-off winner. And he said that he, he could beat the pants off anybody at, with a, a sawed-off barrel. And uh, he was right. So, I, you know, I learned how to cook on, on one of those barrels. You know the kind I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, like an oil drum. Right, right. Cut, yeah. cut half longwise, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's got a chimney on one end, and you just build the fire, you know, on one side, the side opposite the chimney, and put your food in the middle, and, you know, you uh, get that get that flow going. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I had one of the, I've had, like, you know, those, we, we would buy them at the, at the hardware store for, uh, you know, like 50 bucks, and they were good for, Oh, uh, you know, maybe five years before you burn a hole in them, and then you got another one. Yeah. Um, and I had a um, er, very early on. I had uh, they, they call it a Cajun cooker. You know, a water smoker. Yeah. It's kind of you know a little rocket ship thing with a water pan in the middle, and uh, uh, the you know the coals in the a pan on the bottom. You know, the, that's that worked pretty pretty well for a long time. But I was delighted to get the big offset, you know, when I was uh, when I was on my, my 40th birthday. Before that, for big parties, I had rented, you know, that in Texas you can get a giant offset smoker on a trailer on wheels, and you know you can rent one for the weekend for you know 100 bucks or something. Yeah. So cool. I would <laughs> I would go rent one on parked in the driveway and you know fired up and you know you could get you know. I don't know, 10 briskets on and a couple of turkeys and a few pounds. <laughs> Sounds good to me. That was, I mean, that was, I think we had a, a big birthday party for my kids, my kids, and uh, we invited like 100 people. So that was my excuse to go rent the, yeah. rent the big one, the big guy. <laughs> then, um, uh, let's see, uh, I, I wrote a book called, uh, so my barbecue books are, Legends of Texas Barbecue was was the first one, and um, it was it was kind of a it, it was kind of a it created a genre actually because 
<clears throat> I, I had an agent, you know, literary agent took it and chopped it around and she came back and said to me, look, Rob, you know, you've got some good cookbooks and, and people are interested in publishing you, but Texas barbecue is just too, it's too much of a niche. It's like a double niche. I mean, barbecue is a niche. Texas is a niche. And that's just too specific. We, you know, nobody wants to do that. They, they want to do, if you want to pitch them a barbecue book or a Texas, you know, te all of Texas food book, then maybe they'll talk about it. <clears throat> so it was pretty much dead in the water, but, uh, Bill LeBlond at Chronicle Books in San Francisco, who had published my previous book, which was called Nuevo Tex-Mex, he said, look, I, you know, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of money to do it, but you have to supply your own photos. And uh, so we made a deal. I got the, the world's smallest advance. And but the photos, I knew exactly what I wanted to use for photos because my the whole idea was um, I was motivated in that seeing some of the great barbecue joints of of the uh, Central Texas area were moving or, or closing. There was one in particular, Southside Market in Elgin, which had been open since 1880, I don't know, 82, 84, something like that. Um, the fire, the uh, they couldn't get any more fire insurance because uh, the building was just so old and those chimneys were so full of creosote. And <laughs> it, it looked like a tinderbox about to go up. So <clears throat> they they revoked their fire insurance and they they moved out and they moved to this big modern building which had been a bank out on the highway and I was oh my god I was you know I was thinking these places which I had assumed would be around forever are starting to disappear so I I just wanted to document and chronicle these these final barbecue places and I I had seen photographs some of them going back to the uh, Work Progress Administration, which was the during the Depression, the government hired photographers to just go out and shoot stuff. And some legendary photos came out of it. But I had seen barbecue shots from, from that, from the Depression era, of, and including, you know, photos from some of these places. So anyway, I said to, I said to you know, the the publisher, Bill LeBlond at Chronicle Books. Yeah, okay, I'll do it because it's, I it was a labor of love. It wasn't a business as far as I was concerned. I I had an, I had another job. <laughs> I was actually writing advertising copy back in those days on, and uh, doing my food writing on the side. But anyway, I uh, I got the book together and um, and managed to talk one of the, the best designers in Texas, DJ Stout, who used to do Texas Monthly, uh, to do the to do the art direction. And he had a brilliant idea. He said, well, you know, it's uh, offset printing. It's not, you know, going to be fine photography and it's black and white. Let's, uh, let's use the, the, the uh, model of old blues posters, um, you know, which kind of have this, the ink isn't all there. It's kind of coming off and, yeah. you know, and so that's what the, that was what he used as the, uh, the inspiration for the graphics, and the book was just it's it's <laughs> it was an inexpensive printing, but it was a beautiful book, and um, it uh, they couldn't 
they couldn't print enough of them. Um, they, they just sold out really rapidly. And, you know, I'm blessed that it sold over a hundred thousand copies and, uh, <clears throat> that, which is not, I mean, there are books that have sold a hell of a lot more than that, but, but, um, you know, that's pretty, pretty good. The niche niche book, it didn't do too bad. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, you know, years later, um, uh, John Shelton Reed in North Carolina, uh, went to a publisher and said he wanted to publish a North Carolina barbecue book. And they said, well, isn't that kind of specific? And of course they pulled my book. out. <laughs> and then somebody wanted to do a Kansas city book. So, you know, legends of Texas barbecue kind of, you know, broke the, uh, broke the mold on, uh, how you have to do a barbecue book as far as regional. And, you know, it, it opened the door to other regional barbecue books, which, uh, which makes me very happy. But, um, but anyway, uh, so years years go by. Um, I did another barbecue book called The Tex-Mex Grill, which is really a, a, a grilling book primarily. Um, of course, there's there's a recipe for barbacoa on, on real cowhead Texas-style barbacoa on the grill. I use a, a giant turkey roasting pan to do the cowhead. Um, and... Uh, for that, when I did that book, I knew I was going to have people who, you know, were backyard grillers who used a gas grill. So I actually went out and bought a gas grill just so I could, you know, test uh, test stuff that, you know, that, that would come out good on a gas grill. I mean, there's some, you know, there's some recipes that, that work fine on the gas grill. So, uh, so I had a gas grill, a Texas hibachi, an offset smoker. I didn't have the water smoker anymore, but, um, oh, and then I got this cool little thing. Um, they called, uh, discas, uh, in, in, in Mexican Spanish, they would take two cultivator discs from a tractor and mount them on a, a screw thing. And then they'd put coals in the bottom one and screw the top one up and down to to, to regulate the heat. Uh. <laughs> it was there was fabulous. I still have that somewhere. Um, I think I've seen one. No, I've never heard of that before. Uh, you know what it's really great for is carnitas. You get some lard going in the top, and then you throw some big chunks of uh, of uh, you know fatty pork you know from a shoulder in there and uh and just let it go until it's crispy 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 but you know it's not i mean you know the whole what is barbecue question it's outdoor cooking i'll tell you that much yeah definitely it, there's this i think there's quite a few different definitions of just the word barbecue isn't there it means something different to everyone yeah and you know i um, keep blithering on about these books. I wrote another book called Barbecue Crossroads, which is um, it's about the culture of barbecue. I took a me and a, a photographer, a really wonderful photographer named uh, O. Rufus Lovett. We took a trip from East Texas to the Carolinas and back. Actually, we did it twice um, to chronicle the where you know where barbecue culture was. And in that book, I sort of address this, you know, definition of barbecue. <clears throat> the thing that you have to accept is 
that definitions are determined by usage. You know, it's a, the, the dictionary, you know, looks at the way the word is being used in the culture. And um, if, you know, people want to say that hot dogs and hamburgers are barbecue, then, you know, that's, and, and that's the, the, the a, a definition, then you just, you know, you can't say it's wrong. It, you know, everybody's definition is right for them. But it's, you know, it, it's, it, it just requires you to, to figure out what definition of barbecue someone is using when they're talking to you. Yeah. I do, and it's it, you are you're, you're right. It's everyone can interpret as they what they want to interpret as, and use it in their own way. But I think like, sometimes you people are referring to I'm going to have a barbecue, which right. is really you're like referring to the equipment of a barbecue. Whereas like when you're saying this is barbecue, you can have someone you can go to someone here. Oh, check this out. This this is some food I've done. This is barbecue food, but. It might, like you said, might be burgers, might be hot dogs, but to someone else, they're going. Well, here, well here, no, 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 that's not real barbecue. <laughs> right, and then you're stuck with the okay. I, I am the keeper of the real barbecue definition, so you know you, you have okay whatever it is you're doing with meat. You know, <laughs> just check the book. I say read the book, then you'll find out. <laughs> So and with the your legends of Texas barbecue, you said you wrote that back in two thousand and two, and well, it was published in two thousand and two, so I must have started on it around two thousand. Yeah, but you've recent well, not too recently, but more recently released a second edition. You're saying that, that was like that was really required because so much change had happened over those years. Yeah, that's that's true. The second edition came out in 2016, so it was 14 years uh, since the since the first edition. And um, God, it's just amazing. Um, the uh, brisket, I think, was the was the biggest change when I wrote the book. You know, the accepted way in Texas of cooking a brisket was you bought a brisket with a big giant fat cap on it the fat on a, a typical brisket was as much you know weight or volume at least as the meat and you put you put it on the grill and you let it uh you know as it smoked the the uh, the fat dripped and uh and basted the the meat um which is actually brisket well that it's a it's a long story how brisket became popular but the truth is Brisket didn't really, it wasn't uh, a popular meat to cook in Texas barbecue until the 1970s. It wasn't until cattle were killed at a central uh, slaughterhouse and then boxes that you could order briskets. It used to be you got the whole cow, you know. <laughs> so <clears throat> brisket is, is a fairly new development. But, um, but the, the way to cook it was with the fat cap on and then... There was some debate, you know, when you served it, a lot of people would cut the fat cap off, you know, the, when the meat was done, but it would get dry very quickly if you did that. Some people would kind of cut the, sort of cut it as a flap and leave it just dangling over the meat so that as you slice the meat, you know, until you slice the meat, it was still kind of getting some of that fat. 
And other people just cut it all the way through and served it with the with the fat on it, and let the you know people at the table cut it off if uh, they didn't want to eat any of it. But um, that changed. Uh, Aaron Franklin became the most uh, famous proponent of this new uh, style, this sort of upscale style of brisket. Instead of uh, USDA select or even no roll um, beef, which uh, which was used uh, for the longest time, uh, Franklin and and these uh, urban barbecue places that are that are doing this upscale brisket style are buying uh, USDA select, I mean USDA prime beef, uh, and much more marbled, much fattier beef and much more expensive beef. I think Franklin is actually using a specific um, Slaughterhouse Creekstone, which does a natural beef uh, out of Colorado. And I think he's doing Creekstone Prime. And in fact, uh, some of the the only, the only folks who were doing um, a brisket, Texas brisket in Europe, who I've talk to uh, the only ones who are doing great Texas brisket are, are also importing uh, this Creekstone prime briskets. So, so anyway, they, they switched to a, a much higher quality of brisket and then they treated it differently. It still has a fat cap on it, but they didn't leave the fat cap on it. They carved that fat cap down to a quarter inch or half inch. Um, so it's just a little bit of fat on top. And then they, when they season it and and cook it, you end up with the fat the fat renders and the uh, it gets you know just like butter and then it's got all these wonderful spices in it. So when the brisket is done, you know the whole brisket is like when when Franklin throws one of his briskets on the counter, it's like pudding. It just kind of wiggles and wobbles. And then he slices each of these, each of these slices has got a strip of that crunchy rendered fat on top of it. And uh, it's, it's just a sensational piece of meat. I mean, <clears throat> it's selling it for $20 a pound, you know, which is, uh, <laughs> that's, that's sort of steak prices. But uh, a lot of people insist that Franklin brisket tastes better than steak, so. Yeah, I'm, so, I'm just sat here now, just so hungry, <laughs> just, <laughs> just dreaming about it. I've never been to Franklin's, but like we've had so many guests on our show that have been, and every time anyone that we follow and friends and stuff that go to Texas, we'll see them sat outside in the queue waiting to go in, and it's definitely like you've you've got to be there, haven't you? That's on my must-go-to places in the world, I think. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty special. I mean, you know, there's other people, uh, Killens in Houston, Corkscrew in Houston, uh, Pecan Lodge in Dallas. There's lots of other places that are, have, you know, that are on the same page with Franklin. They're mostly in big cities, though, which is interesting because all those famous meat markets were always out in the country, you know. So yeah. it's really, you know, in my mind, it's kind of, you know, uh, urban hipster barbecue versus old school country barbecue and but, what wins i'm sorry and what wins for you which which one which one do you prefer um 
I, you know, which of which of your children would you uh, would you want? <laughs> so, I was just trying. I was just reaching, trying to trying to get something. Um. Well, I mean, the brisket. You, you just you just can't argue that the brisket is absolutely delicious at the at the urban places, and it's. But, you know, if you go to uh, Kreitz Market out in the country, they barbecue prime. Uh, they barbecue prime rib. They have a you know a, a beautiful you know prime barbecue prime rib, and and it's I think it's seventeen dollars a pound, and you know I mean that's pretty dang good. Uh, it's it's absolutely delicious. It's not brisket, but you know it's like. Um, uh, and the other the other thing that kind of bothers some people is, you know, barbecue has its roots in taking inexpensive cuts of meat and, you know, rendering them delicious with, uh, you know, the right technique and yeah. and love and labor. And, you know, here we're buying, you know, prime meat and selling it for, you know, over $20 a pound. And it's not in the just folks category anymore, you know? No, it's not. Listen, we're we're already over our half an hour mark, and I feel like we're we're like really only scratching this the very very shallow surface of Rob Walsh. Um, would you be able to come back on another time, Rob, and talk to us a bit more? Yeah, sure. That'd be awesome yeah. because we haven't got we haven't even started to talk about sex and oysters yet. So I think or Ireland or Ireland for that matter. Yeah, or Ireland or your new Kamado Joe or your visit to the UK with Texas Joe or Pip magazine. There's so much more that we need to talk about. So let, let's, let's say, let's, let's say here to be continued and let's see a part two with Rob Walsh coming soon. <laughs> yeah. To be followed by part three, four and five. Yeah. yeah maybe we could just hand <laughs> it over to you for a month and we have a holiday. <laughs> maybe an annual Rob Walsh week. You know, it's Thanksgiving coming up here. So this could yeah. be, the annual Thanksgiving special. Yeah, great. Let's do that. I like the sound of that. Yeah. Well, thanks very much, Rob, for coming on. It's been awesome just getting to talk to you a little bit, and it's an amazing amount of knowledge, and I need to ask you so many more questions, and I look forward to speaking to you again on our next one. I'm going to order up my copy of Legends of Texas Barbecue. I'll get the second edition, and then I'll be kept up to speed with what's been going down. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I look forward to coming over there and uh, eating some of your chow in London. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, let me know next time you're over and we'll sort something out. Sounds good. Cool. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. You're listening to United Q Podcast. We're brought to you by Pro-Q, Kamado Joe, Thermopen and Smokewood Shack. Pro-Q's extensive range of bullet smokers, reverse flow and gravity fed smokers will suit all, from the home enthusiast to the big volume caterer. Kamado Joe, the king of ceramics, is renowned for build quality and innovation. From smoking, roasting or searing, get that great barbecue taste and keep the moisture locked in.
Thermapen Instant Read Thermometers. Take the guesswork out of barbecuing with the Superfast Thermapen. Smokewood Shack delivers quality smoking wood every time. They provide the smoky goodness, you provide the talent.